Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. to our study today. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors. Celebrate Seniors is a, is a ministry of faith dialogue. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, another parable. Uh, we're going to be talking about one of the stories in the Bible that you're likely very familiar with. Uh, in this parable, we're going to find a man on a dangerous journey, and through his misfortune, uh, Jesus is going to reveal some truths about the kingdom of God. The story is found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the third gospel. Uh, you have Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Chapter 10, beginning in verse 30 through 37. Um, the parable I'm teaching today is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the, this parable is perhaps one of the best well-known parables of all of the stories of Jesus. You know, there are 46 separate parables of Jesus, and we like teaching through them. They're the, the words of in red. They're the words that Jesus spoke. He, he often spoke in parables, and he did that because they communicated very well. Jesus used everyday things that people could understand, fish and sheep and, and, and people and, and judges and, and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And, and he used these stories because people could relate to them. He, he would tell sometimes the same story over and over again, but this, this parable is just recorded once in this, in this Gospel of Luke. This particular tale, this dramatic tale of the Good Samaritan is so well known that even non-Christians know what it means when you say someone is a, is a Good Samaritan. You know, it's part of our, our culture. Uh, being a Good Samaritan is part of our vocabulary. You know, there's a, there's a law called the Good Samaritan Law in many states, and it, and it means that if somebody goes out of their way to help somebody that's in distress, that they can be protected uh, from, uh, from being sued. Uh, in some states, there's a Good Samaritan law that requires that you give aid to somebody if it's possible for you, um, for somebody that is really in distress. Almost everyone knows what it means to be a, a Good Samaritan. In fact, if you do a, a Google search on Good Samaritan and just look at news stories, you're going to find all kinds of uh, interesting things. You know, often uh, a story of a Good Samaritan might be uh, about somebody that's, uh, that's helping a dog. Uh, or somebody that's maybe paying somebody's bill at a, at a grocery store, or maybe somebody that stops along the road to help somebody uh, fix a tire. Uh, but there's really only one Good Samaritan, and that's the focus of this parable today. Uh, I'd like you to listen today with, with fresh ears. Because you know this story so well, it's so easy to immediately dismiss it and say, there's nothing for me to learn. But there's a lot to learn. These are the words of Jesus in red. So we're going we're gonna to take it slow because we know this story so well. I'm going to do something a little bit differently. And I'm not going to read the entire scripture right now. I'm going to take it verse by verse and unpack it as we go. And, and we'll learn a, as we go along. So let's go ahead and start in verse 25 of chapter 10 of Luke. And I'll, and I'll read just a, just a verse for you and then we'll... We'll come back and we'll unpack it. It starts off saying, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and, and tested him, that's meaning Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know, so this 
story starts off and we get the, the context. Uh, the story that Jesus will tell is in response to a question that a certain lawyer asked. Now this language needs some clarification. You know, by a certain lawyer in Jewish times didn't mean what it means today. Uh, this was not somebody that had a JD that was going to court and representing clients before a judge. Uh, by certain lawyer, it meant that this was a man that had, that had studied the rabbinical law. He understood the, the Pentateuch. He understood the, the law of Moses. And he was a scholar. He, would, he understood it. Um, in fact, often Jewish priests would actually go to a, to a lawyer to help them understand some of the fine points of rabbinical Judaism. Now it says that the lawyer stood up and it says he, he tested Jesus. Now, we shouldn't necessarily think that the lawyer was trying to, to trap Jesus. Uh, that was often the, the role of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They loved asking gotcha questions. You know, questions that were kind of trick questions. Uh, they would try to trap Jesus. He would either have to uh, say something that violated the, the law of Moses, the rabbinical laws, or he'd have to insult the Romans. That, that was the role of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But I, I think this lawyer is asking a very honest question. Uh, the question that he's asking is about eternal life. So I'm going to jump to the punchline, the, the meaning of this entire parable, and tell you that this whole parable is actually about eternal life. You know, all this time you thought the parable was about being nice to people, helping people that were in distress. Well, there's always room for charity, and I certainly don't want to discourage you from helping people or being charitable. But that's not what this main purpose of this parable is. This, purple, this, this parable is a response to the man that asked the question about eternal life. That's why Jesus told the story. Now, this, this man that had asked the question, remember, was a, was a scholar. He had probably committed more of the Bible to, to memory than you or I combined. In fact, probably more than anybody you and I know. Uh, back at the time of Jesus, these people, uh, they didn't have easy access to the Bible. They didn't have easy access to the scriptures. So a lot of it was committed to memory so they could, they could recall it quickly. Now, we know that this whole parable is a response because in, at the very end, Jesus has these words after he tells the story. It says, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So we, so we know that this, this parable is, is in response to this man's question. Now I said clearly at the beginning of this topic today that this parable is often misunderstood. Of course, one of the biggest misunderstandings is what we just said, that it's about doing good to each other, and really we said that the parable is about eternal life. But there's also a, another misunderstanding we need to clear up before we continue. And that's when people read this parable, uh, they often look at the lawyer, this expert in the law, um, and they cast aspersion to him. They, 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 they hear his title as being lawyer, and then they see that he tested Jesus, and they say, well, he's up to no good. He's, he's doing something wrong. But, however, I, I don't see that here, and, I, and I'll tell you why. He asks a very specific questions about, about in, uh, eternal life. He says, Master, how can I inherit 
inherit eternal life. He didn't ask the question, how do I get eternal life or how do I earn eternal life? Uh, inheriting is actually very, very specific. It, it has some ramifications. One of, one, is that the, uh, one of the ramifications is that you only inherit something until after somebody dies. You know, a few weeks ago I did the parable of the, of the uh, prodigal son. And in the prodigal son, we said that the question that the, or the request that the prodigal son had to his father was, share your inheritance with me, was shameful. That was because inheritance was given after somebody died. He was basically saying, Father, I wish, wish you were dead. So this, this lawyer is not asking that question. He said, how can I inherit eternal life? Um, there's, a, there's one thing also about, inherit, uh, about inheritance is that you don't work for inheritance. It's not something that you, you earn. It's something that's been given to you. It's a, it's a birthright. It's because of whose you are is why you get the inheritance. So contrary to what many believe, this lawyer was not thinking of some form of salvation by works, of earning his way into heaven. He wanted to know about eternal life and uh, in the kingdom of God. So let's go on. The very next verse, verse 26. Jesus continues. He says to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Wow, what a great response. You know, this was a great summary of the law. The, what he just said summarized the entire Ten Commandments. Uh, we think of them, the Ten Commandments correctly, as being written on, on two tablets, and that's a good way to think of them. About half of them, written on one commandment, have to do with your obligations towards God. Uh, it had no other gods before me, make no graven image, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and remember the Sabbath. Uh, the other half, actually six out of ten of the commandments on the other stone, on the other tablet, are about your responsibilities not to God but to, to man. Honor your mother and father, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't, don't covet. Your responsibilities to your fellow man. And so this man had answered correctly when he said, Lo Lord, <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It was a great summary. Jesus commands the lawyer, look, let's look at the next verse, in verse 28. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So let's pause for a moment and unpack these responses, both the response of Jesus and the response of the lawyer. First, Jesus not only commends the lawyer, but he, then he adds to the, his commendation, a promise. He says, do this and you will live. You know, this is a promise of the law, all given to the people of Israel. They were told that if they followed the law, they would prosper, they would do well. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and with honey. Now notice secondly the response from the lawyer after Jesus commends him. The scripture says, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh, the man had summarized the entire law. And I mentioned that these two commandments, the love God and love your neighbor, are, are the two tablets of the law. 
However, the mistake that most likely this lawyer made and many of the religious Jews at the time were making is they believed that they could fulfill the first tablet. All of the requirements of, of loving God and honoring God and, and not uh, honoring or not worshiping false, false gods. Now, that's a surprise when you think of it, when, when you think of the history of the Jewish people. You know, how did the Jews believe they could actually do that? We, we saw that they had, and they knew their history, there were centuries of idolatry, uh, the worship of other gods, and ultimately sent both Israel and Judah into captivity by Assyria and Babylon, respectively. Despite that, the Jews thought that they've got the first tablet covered. They needed help on the second one, which was summarized in love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor, which is not a commandment, but it summarizes the responsibilities we have to our fellow man. So that's why this lawyer asked the question, who is my neighbor? He wanted to narrow down and figure out exactly what his responsibilities to his fellow man was. So Jesus continues, verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So the question is asked by the lawyer, and Jesus responds with the parable. A story. He describes a man going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We're told that this route was especially treacherous, dangerous, because it not only curved through rocky areas and it was difficult to travel, but also there were bandits along the road and many, many places that it was easy to be ambushed. Unfortunately, and not uncommonly, this traveler fell into to that problem and he was attacked and left half dead alongside the road. After the robbers were through with him, the man was helpless. He was naked, half dead on the side of the road. So here's the first question I have for you. What's the difference between half dead and dead dead? It's not a trick question. It's a, it's a legitimate question. The, it, the scriptures say that he was half dead. Well, what's, what's half dead mean? Well, I believe that it means that he was dying that given time, if he didn't have any assistance, he would be, be dead. Now the other thing about being half dead is pretty obvious. It, it's, we're not talking about a man on the side of the road taking a rest, taking a little siesta, not talking about taking in the environment, relaxing, waiting for a friend, sitting quietly or enjoying the day. This man is half dead, likely crumbled on the ground in some grotesque position likely bleeding from a number of places. If he's able, he's probably trying to stop the bleeding, trying to right himself, trying to recover somewhat. But he knows his injuries are serious. He may even know that the injuries could be ultimately fatal. So let's read on. Verse 31. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So soon after this vicious attack, uh, a priest came by. Uh, and the story shifts. We see this is the first opportunity, some hope, a glimmer of hope for this half-dead man. And in fact, half-dead man now has a chance. You could have inserted the word fortunately in this scripture. Fortunately, a priest comes by. Why would it be fortunately? Well, because this was the, the priest was the pinnacle of virtue. Uh, the priest would certainly help. The, the, 
the, the priest offered sacrifices to God on behalf of a sinful people. They, they knew the law. And, and the law specified that you were required to help people that were in distress. In this very situation, the law provided that even donkeys and oxen would be cared for if they were in the ditch. One of the verses that the priest would have known is Micah 6.8. What does the law require? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The priest would surely help, but the scripture says that the priest just passed by. He dodged the half-dead man. You know, people have wondered why, why would this happen? In fact, we're going to see the same kind of response repeated uh, and then the very next verse with, uh, with the Levite. Well, here's, here's the explanation that most people give, and I, and I agree with it. Since the man was half dead, the priest would have probably assumed that he was going to die. And if the man was maybe already looked like he was already dead, if the priest went over and touched him, he would defile himself. There was a, there was a law in the book of Leviticus that said that if you touched anything that was dead, you would be ceremonially unclean. And the priest would not have been able to fulfill, fulfill, his, fulfill his duties until he restored himself or, or um, uh, recovered from that. Um, so the priest walked by on the other side in order to avoid any, any contact. So let's read on. Here comes the, the Levite. Verse 32, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. You know, you've got to be you got to begin to think because there's our two stories and they both say the same type of thing that perhaps Jesus is getting at something that's even deeper than this, these two instances. Perhaps Jesus is showing us something here other than just misguided religious orthodoxy or perhaps just an uncaring attitude towards the unfortunate or a fellow human being. Notice that the priest was said to have come um, along by chance. That word by chance is in, is in the story. Um, and, so, and it says, likewise the Levite, meaning the Levite was also just walking by chance. So why did Jesus say by, by chance? I believe it was to show that these two holy men didn't have a mission to, to help the people along the road. That wasn't their, their job. Saving sinners is not the purpose of the rabbinical law. It, it really isn't. Um, once they saw the man, they both had the same reaction. They passed by. Likely it was because if they touched the man, they would violate this, this oath that they had or this opportunity they had to be able to, to be of service. They would be unclean. Rather than risk this, they stayed if, as far away as possible. The law was against the man receiving any help from them. The law had no purpose to save him and no power to save him. But now the story takes a, a very interesting twist. We read on in verse 33, and here's where the name of the parable is from. Verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he sent him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, this is a huge development, particularly for the half-dead man. The third person to come along was a Samaritan. Remember that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and the Jews hated the, uh, the, Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. From a Jewish point of view, a Samaritan was the last person that you would have expected to help. 
It would not have been politically correct to attribute anything good, anything righteous, anything God-fearing to the hated Samaritans. Jesus is answering a lawyer, a Jew, and likely he is in the company of exclusively Jewish believers. So by inserting that it was the Samaritan that was going to do a good work would have been a tremendous insult to their sensibilities. So let's take a look at what the Samaritan did. He engaged. He engaged. He likely sized up the situation knew that it was not going to be an easy fix. He knew that it was going to require a lot of effort on his part, but still he engaged. The good deed wasn't just giving a hitchhiker a ride, not just coming to the aid of a lost uh, cat or maybe a turtle crossing the road. Um, it wasn't just for paying for someone's lunch at, at Chick-fil-A or giving a guy in the street a few coins because he had a homeless sign. You know, these are all things that are attributed to good Samaritans, but, but that's not at all. What this, what this Good Samaritan was doing. He was, he was investing real effort, real time. He was truly engaging. The imagery in this parable gets even more specific. The Samaritan, it says, bandages his wounds. Where do the bandages come from? People don't carry bandages. They don't have band-aids back then. If he bandaged his wounds, the bandages came from his clothing. He took his turban off and unwound it, or he took part of his clothing and ripped it in order to make, to make bandages. Uh, he's also using oil and wine, uh, using it to clean and to sanitize. His effort was to protect, to heal, to, to bind the wounds of this half-dead man. Now, it also says that he, he put him on his own animal. In the King James, it says, he righted him on his own beast. <laughs> I love that. I love the imagery of putting this man on a beast. Have you ever helped somebody get on a horse? We have. We used to have horses. And I'm sure what he did was a lot more difficult than just giving somebody a, a leg up. This half-dead man was unable to climb onto the animal by himself. The Samaritan would have had to embrace him, put both arms around him, lift him up carefully onto his horse or onto his donkey, and be able to, to steady him as he, as he took him to the inn. This is, this is care extraordinaire. It's not just a little help. It's, it's way beyond the, the call of duty. But it's exactly what help the half-dead man needed. Without this type of assistance, he wouldn't have survived. And I love it. The story gets better. Verse 35. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and I, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. You know, here's, here's something to think about. Two denarii. We said before that a denarii is, a, is the average wage. It's a coin. Average wage of a working man for a day. If you worked in the fields for a day, your average wage for a working man was, uh, was a denarii, one coin. Um, but some scholars did some digging. They found these, these old inns in this, this area. Now, an old inn back then was, was probably not much more than a, than a stable. It was a lean-to. It was possibly a, a cave with uh, maybe a structure in front of it. it. It wasn't anything fancy. It was no Ramada Inn, no, no Holiday Inn, no, no Hyatt. It was... It was just a, just a shack. And in, this, in the ruins of this inn, they found an, an invoice. And they found on the invoice that the cost of a room, get this, 
the cost of a room was one thirty second of a denarii. One thirty second. So if the Good Samaritan gave the innkeeper two denarii, he was basically paying for up to two months, two months of care. You know, I've got to remember that the next time I, I give a beggar a, on the street corner a couple of coins and say, say God bless. But that's not all. He said to the innkeeper in verse 35, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Ha! Ah, beyond the two denarii. Anything else that the man needs, when the Samaritan returns, he'll stop and, and repay the debt. I can tell you as a pastor that I've had more than one occasion to be able to take a person that was that claimed to be homeless and to be able to put them up into a to a hotel and give them the church credit card not my credit card the church credit card and be able to to pay for a couple couple nights but there was always a limit on it I, I didn't leave my credit card I didn't leave a sack of money I, I limited my generosity to, to a couple days. But that's not here at all what the Good Samaritan did. The Good Samaritan was extravagant in his generosity. So, so let's continue. Let's finish the last lines of the parable and watch it because, as I said, here comes the, the punchline. Verse 36, Jesus says, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Did you get that? I mean, you almost have to laugh. I mean, think about it. This, this lawyer was asking a question about the limits of who his neighbor was. And Jesus tells this story about the extravagance of this Samaritan being able to help the half-dead man. So what did Jesus tell him to do? Do what? Well, get fully involved. Be a neighbor to someone you don't even know, possibly somebody you even despise. Forget about your agenda, your trip, your plans, wherever you were headed, whatever business you had that day. Put it all aside and help the person you, you don't even know. Leave your credit card, or better yet, sign a blank check. Promise to pay even more at some time in the future with, without any limits. Be a neighbor to that man. Go and do likewise. You know, to, in order to fully understand the, the meaning of this parable and, and why we so often get this story wrong, you have to remember the original question. The man, the lawyer initially said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gave us this sermon, this parable, to teach us how we inherit eternal life. The lawyer already knew the answer. He said it perfectly. He said, just love God perfectly love God perfectly all your heart your soul your strength and then your neighbor as yourself and if you want to know what it means to be a neighbor Jesus just told you he just told you the story of the Samaritan he's painted the picture for you there's no limits on what's required of you herein lies the problem and Jesus showed us this many many times in his ministry you can't fulfill the law perfectly you're always going to fail. You're always going to fall short of what's required. The standard is just set too high. Jesus said, fulfill the law. All of it. How do I inherit eternal life? Easy. Just do everything perfectly. Be perfect. The fact is, this is a fictional account. 
there's likely was no Good Samaritan. I mean, we just read the story. I mean, that's amazing. That extravagance. This is a parable, a story Jesus told to illustrate a much deeper spiritual principle. Jesus is telling us this parable that this is what it would take if you needed to really earn your way into heaven. You have to live a perfect life. It's not enough to just chalk up enough good points or have more good points than bad points. I used to always say God doesn't grade on a curve. I was a teacher. I used to grade on a curve all the time. There's no curve when it comes to God. It's perfection that's required. You know, in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about this very thing. Um, it says, he says this, he says, You've heard long ago that was said to the people, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be danger of hellfire. And then in verse 27, Jesus continues, he says, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, this is the perfection that Jesus is talking about. This is exactly why Jesus continued to raise the bar. The Jewish people felt that they could, they could perfectly love God. And then all of these other six, six commandments, our responsibilities to our fellow man, were summed up with loving your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly why the lawyer asked the question. This is how they thought. And Jesus is making it clear to them that without even talking about the first part of the commandment, okay, loving God, you're not going to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, through this parable, there's an important single point of view to make. Uh, there's many other lessons that we can apply. We need to be a, we need to be a good neighbor. We need to see people as, as Jesus see, sees them as well. You know, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that there was ancillary opportunities to be able to, to be a good Samaritan to the extent that we help people that are in distress. It's a great thing to do. I love it. Our old church used to talk about random acts of kindness, random acts of kindness, and I love that. It's, it's the opportunity for people to know that, that we, we engage our neighbor, that we, that we love them, we want to encourage them. And that's random acts of kindness. It's taken from the story of the Good Samaritan, but it's actually taken from the 25th chapter of Matthew. You know the story. Jesus said, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you, you clothed me. I was in prison and you came in and visited me. I was, I was a stranger and, and you took me in. You know, the Bible te clearly tells us that Jesus came to fulfill the law. We say that Jesus came to pay a debt that he didn't owe because I had a debt I, I couldn't possibly pay. The law requires perfection and no one other than Jesus was ever able to fulfill the law. Jesus taught the Jews that their Jewishness, from their ritual circumcision to keeping the law to the weekly, monthly, and even daily sacrifice, was going to be inadequate. By the way, the Good Samaritan, and that's how God, by the way, the Good Samaritan, the true story of the Good Samaritan, who is the Good Samaritan? It's none other than this is how, how God treats us. I often say that the Good Samaritan is Jesus himself. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have, here's the word, eternal life. You know, the opportunity is there. Opportunity is there for you and for me. Jesus ended this parable with the line, Go and do likewise. 
you know, we, we preach the word, uh, we, we teach the scriptures, and the, teachers, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He, he is the sacrifice that was required. He was the perfect sacrifice. He paid the price once. He paid the price for sin once and for all, and there's no longer any sacrifice required for sin. He paid the price for my sin, for your sin. He paid the price, but he asked us to, to follow him, to go and do likewise, to believe in him. Once we believe, our, our sins are, are forgiven. The past is forgotten, and we have eternal life. The very thing the lawyer asked for, Jesus provided by his death on the cross. Come to Jesus. Embrace the life that God has for you through Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this, this parable, this, this wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan. We thank You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.